This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Today is Monday, December 7th, 2020. On this day in 1941, the U.S. naval base and headquarters of the Pacific Fleet at Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, was attacked by the Japanese Imperial Navy. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a Spotify original from Parcast. Due to the graphic nature of today's crimes, listener discretion is advised. Extreme caution is advised for listeners under 13. Today we're covering the surprise attack on Pearl Harbor. After the Japanese bombed the U.S. naval fleet stationed there, the United States was thrust into World War II. Let's go back to the morning of December 7, 1941. It was a beautiful, bright morning on the island of Oahu. The cool Pacific breeze brushed by rows of thick palm trees. The blazing sun had climbed high into the sky by 7 a.m. The military base at Pearl Harbor was quiet on that Sunday morning, but plenty of soldiers and sailors were already at their posts. This included two radar operators on a high coastal bluff overlooking the glittering Blue Sea. At 7.02 a.m., the men saw a strange reading on their radar screens. It appeared as though several big clusters of aircraft were approaching the island. The two radar men sent out an alarm immediately to Kermit Tyler, an Army fighter pilot who was in charge of the aircraft tracking center. Don't worry about it, Tyler replied telling them that they were expecting a flight of bombers from the U.S. mainland. The large group of planes they were seeing must be part of that contingent. It was a fatal mistake. The planes were Japanese, and they were on a direct course to attack Pearl Harbor. The first plane arrived at 7.55 a.m. local time. Another 349 were right behind it as the attack unfolded in two waves. The first was the initial surprise attack meant to hit U.S. airfields and battleships, the most high-value targets. The fleet of battleships was at anchor along a massive wharf, each vessel lined up end-to-end. -end. This was fittingly called Battleship Row. The first Japanese bombers lined up their attack runs over Battleship Row. Meanwhile, their fighter escorts raked the decks of the ships with machine gun fire. At 8.10 a.m., just 15 minutes after the first plane arrived, one of the bombers scored a direct hit on the battleship USS Arizona with a 1,800-pound bomb. 
The bomb pierced the deck and plowed right into the vessel's ammunition magazine, where all the explosives and big shells for the deck guns were kept. When the bomb detonated, it ignited the entire supply. The USS Arizona blew to pieces. She sank immediately with more than a thousand men aboard. The second wave of Japanese planes were over the island at 8.50 a.m., launching torpedoes at the rest of Battleship Row. The fighters dropped bombs and strafed the nearby airfield, knocking out the vast majority of American air support on the island. They hit any targets still afloat, including the battleship USS Oklahoma. Torpedoes punched a giant hole in the side of the ship, and it capsized in minutes. The top of the battleship sunk into the bottom of the harbor, trapping the crew inside the upside-down hull. Just after 9 a.m., the final Japanese planes flew away, ending the attack. Nearly every ship on Battleship Row was severely damaged. The USS Arizona and the USS Oklahoma were beyond salvaging. Another three destroyers and numerous other ships were sunk. More than 180 U.S. aircraft went up in smoke. There was only one silver lining for the United States. The aircraft carriers were out at sea during the bombing. While the majority of the Pacific Fleet had been destroyed, the survival of the aircraft carriers would allow the U.S. to launch a counterattack right into the heart of Japan. Coming up, the United States goes to war. Hi, it's Greg. I want to tell you about a fantastic podcast show I know you'll love that dives deep into some of history's most notorious leaders. It's called Dictators, and every Tuesday, it examines the reign of a real-life tyrant, exploring the unique conditions that allowed them to seize control. Dictators have a never-ending thirst for power. Some seize this power through force, others through deceit, and all of them won't hesitate to eliminate anybody who stands in their way. You can hear episodes on dictators from the Roman Empire like Caligula, World War II dictators like Benito Mussolini, female dictators like Isabella of France, and many more. There are over 40 episodes available to binge right now that I know you'll find fascinating. Discover the governments that fell, the lives that were destroyed, and evil at its highest level. Follow Dictators free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Now, back to the story. On December 7, 1941, the U.S. naval base at Pearl Harbor was attacked by the Japanese in a surprise attack. Most of the American battleships were sunk or rendered inoperable, along with numerous other small vessels and aircraft. 
over 2,400 U.S. soldiers, sailors, and civilians were killed. Close to 1,200 were injured. The political fallout was immediate. Japan and the U.S. severed all diplomatic ties, and immediate suspicion fell upon Japanese Americans, particularly those living in Hawaii and along the west coast of the mainland. After news of the attack spread across the country, there was public outcry for retaliation. Until the bombing of Pearl Harbor, the United States had avoided direct involvement in the Second World War consuming Europe and Southeast Asia. The U.S. government didn't expect an attack on its home soil, and thus the military base had been weakly defended. The Navy had mistakenly believed the harbor was too difficult a target to attack due to shallow waters and high hills all around. However, the Japanese had modified their torpedoes to run closer to the surface of the water, and their pilots had trained for months to learn the terrain. The attack was designed to severely hinder America's ability to wage war. Unfortunately, the Japanese underestimated the speed of American response and the survival of the aircraft carriers. The United States considered the attack to be cowardly and was determined to respond in kind. Congress met on December 8th to hear an official report from the president regarding his recommended recourse. In his address, President Franklin D. Roosevelt called December 7th a date which will live in infamy. He firmly asked Congress to declare war on Japan and its allies in Europe, Nazi Germany and Italy. The Congress voted almost unanimously to declare war. On December 8, 1941, the United States officially joined World War II. The first order of business was to strike back at Japan. The retaliatory attack was hatched by an Air Force general named James H. Doolittle. His suggestion was to load Air Force bombers onto aircraft carriers and get as close to Japan as possible before taking off. By doing that, the U.S. Air Force could bomb Tokyo and other main cities on the island of Honshu. The scheme was conceived in January, and Doolittle's team of pilots trained intensely for the next three months. Then, on April 18, 1942, the Doolittle raid took off and bombed the Japanese capital and the cities of Yokosuka, Osaka, and Kobe. Unfortunately, the Doolittle Raid wasn't the only retaliatory measure the United States undertook. The U.S. government also built a series of internment camps for Japanese Americans, forcing thousands of innocent citizens out of their homes and businesses and into these prisons. Whispers of possible sabotage were everywhere, even though no Japanese attack ever struck the mainland. Fear and racism gripped the American public, and many Japanese businesses were seized or destroyed. The internment camps operated for the duration of the war. When Japanese Americans finally returned home, they found many of their houses and businesses were no longer theirs. 
The attack on Pearl Harbor shook America, and the country responded forcefully, but also fearfully. The attacks marked the beginning of an era in which the U.S. experienced its greatest victories and some of its greatest shames. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. For more stories like this, check out the Spotify original, Espionage. Today in True Crime is a Spotify original from Parcast. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other originals for free on Spotify. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Bruce Katovich. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Andrew Messer, with writing assistance by Terrell Wells, and fact-checking by Adriana Romero. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Don't forget to check out the Dictators podcast. Every Tuesday, they go deep into the minds of some of history's most despised despots. You'll get insight into their rise to power and the impact of their downfall. Search for Dictators in the Spotify app and listen free today.